John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. This week I opened up my email and I found a request from ABC News. Um, as you can imagine, because of my radio program, I get a lot of requests to interview people. And one of the people that they wanted me to interview is a person named Jason D. Berrigan. And he has written a book called... Ten Things I Hate About Christianity. When I was reading it, it said, and I quote, ABC News correspondent Dan Harris interviewed author of the controversial new book, Ten Things I Hate About Christianity, working through the frustrations of faith. ABC is featuring former rocker, ex-pastor, and new writer Jason T. Berrigan as the subject of two separate segments due to the national attention of the book. It goes on and it says, quote, according to author Jason T. Berrigan, the Bible is boring. Praying doesn't work. And Christians are self-righteous. And I thought, interesting. It's very interesting. Because I suspect that there are people who come to my church and they come in the door and they quietly whisper to themselves, the Bible is boring. They suggest to themselves, no one's listening to my prayer. They suggest to themselves that they are surrounded by make-believers and hypocrites. People who are more concerned about the way that they appear than the way that they are. As I was thinking about this particular thing, I thought, I'm going to have them on. Not because I believe that the book is boring, because guess what? The most boring part of the Bible is more exciting than the most exciting thing that this world has to offer. And prayer is not powerless for those who abide in Christ. And for those who seek the Lord and his will, you have to understand something. The Apostle John has concluded the 14th chapter with the expression, look at the end, arise, let us go from here. 
We're left with the impression that the conversations that have taken place in the upper room, they are leaving the upper room. They're going to go through Jerusalem. They're going to pass by the temple. And as they go through the Kidron Valley and up to the side of the Mount of Olives, dotted on every hillside, you're going to see fires burning. There are olive trees and there are vineyards, vine branches. It's almost impossible that they couldn't have passed through the temple precincts. And on the temple precincts, you can see enameled, if you will, on gold filigree. It was a gigantic grapevine. And on the grapevine, there were little clusters of grapes that were made from pure gold. As a matter of fact, it was one of the great desires on the part of the wealthy that they could donate a gold and that it could be hammered into the into one of those grape clusters so that there would be a permanent reminder of their presence. Jesus' friend Judas is going to betray him. His other friend Peter is going to deny him. And every single one of them are going to run away. I can see how people are left with the impression that the book is a boring book and prayers are empty and it's all a religious exercise that is a meaningless attempt. But for the Jew, for the Jew, for the Jew, the vine and the branches were an abiding symbol of the Jews throughout history. And so Jesus is going to speak a parable of the vine and its branches in verses 1 through 11. He's going to give a commandment in verses 12 through 17. And then he's going to pronounce a warning in verses 18 through 27. You see, a parable is an earthly story that illustrates a heavenly truth. And typically, a parable has one central truth. And we sometimes are tempted to make a parable say way more than the speaker intended. But clearly, Jesus intends his disciples to come away with at least one central truth above all other truths. And that truth is that the believer, the believer, the believer who abides in Jesus Christ bears fruit. The word fruit, by the way, is used six times. And the word abide, which is from the Greek word meno. But it isn't always translated abide in this chapter. Occurs over and over again. And so the central question that we have to begin with as we approach our study is, is this a gospel message to the unbeliever or is this an exhortation to the true believer? I'm going to suggest something to you. That in every passage of Scripture... There's a gospel message. Every gospel message can bring a confrontation for the sinner to become a saint. But I'm going to suggest to you that the primary purpose of this story isn't to convict the sinner of sin, but rather to confront the saint and encourage the saint and empower the saint and provide hope 
for the saint. We believe that salvation is a free gift given by God. But the life of spiritual intimacy, the life of affection and proximity with the Lord Jesus are for those who abide in Him, for those who obey Him, for those who soak themselves in His love. And so look again in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. The fact that Jesus claims to be the true vine intimates that there is such a thing as a counterfeit vine and a false vine. In one sense, the Jews had been told throughout their history that they were the true vine, that they were the vineyard of the Lord. As a matter of fact, if you have a moment, you should turn to Isaiah chapter five, verses one through seven. And there you will see the story as Isaiah tells it of Israel being the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. And the Lord describes his relationship with Israel, that they are the vine. The Lord has taken the vine out of Egypt, according to Psalm chapter 80, verse 8. He took this precious, precious plant and he cultivated a field and he placed it in the land. But after careful consideration, after careful cultivation, he wound up with sour grapes. People often ask me on my radio program, are the Jews the chosen people? And I say, of course the Jews are the chosen people, but you always have to answer and respond also with chosen for what? Chosen to bring forth the Messiah. Chosen to carry the oracles of God and the promises of God and the promise that would come in the person of Jesus Christ. In John's Gospel, over and over again, Jesus has said, I am the bread of life in John 6.35. I'm the light of the world in John 8.12. I am the door, John 10.7. I am the good shepherd, John 10.11. I'm the resurrection and the life, John 11:25. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14:6. And now, Jesus says, "I am the true vine." In precisely the same way that the Bible says, "I am the true light." I am the true bread, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2. I am the true tabernacle. That there were types and shadows and symbols and suggestions, but each and every one of these were to point you to the person of Jesus Christ. And so when he says, I'm the true vine, it doesn't mean simply true in relationship to that which is false. But it also means true in relationship to the type and the shadow and the picture that's been given to you over and over again. You've been told that Israel is is the vine. But guess what? I'm the vine. By the way, some of you know my weakness for coins. When the Jewish people revolted against Rome, they took the Roman coins and they tried to file down the hated images and then they would heat the coin and they would put on their coin a bunch of grapes and a grapevine and a grape leaf. You know, in America, we have our coins. 
And on our coins, there are three things that always appear on each and every coin. The statement, e pluribus unum, out of the one, many. On each and every coin, the word liberty. On each and every coin, the statement, in God we trust. Now, of late, they've put the in God we trust on the rim to make it as unobservable and unobjectionable as possible. But symbols do mean something. They have a meaning. And for the Jew, this grape vine was a picture of God's presence and fruitfulness in the land. By the way, the word translated vine dresser is a Greek compound noun. Georgos or Georgos. Gaia was the Greek word for earth. Ergon was the Greek word for work. And so the word Giergon meant the person who worked the soil or tilled the ground. And so the Lord Jesus says, my father is the one who works the soil, who tills the ground. In this particular instance, the vine dresser or the gardener. And of course, the context is the person who's working the garden. Who's working the vineyard. And so that's why it's translated vine dresser. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm the true vine. So who do you suppose the branches are? The branches are those who are saved by his grace. They are the true branches. By the way, there's two kinds of branches. Connected and disconnected. The connected branches connect to the vine and it draws life and sustenance and productivity from him. And so in verse two, it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus will now talk about the stages of fruit bearing. By the way, what does it mean for the Christian or for the believer to bear fruit? Now, let me ask you a question. Did any of you grow up on a farm or around agriculture? Some of you did. The most fundamental thing that when you, you learn when you grow up on a farm is that life reproduces life. It's a very simple concept, isn't it? Living Things reproduce. All fruit contains within it the seed of a new generation. Within the tiny kernel that we call a seed lies the miraculous power to perpetuate life itself. And so a single kernel of corn can produce thousands of seeds within a few months. A dot-sized poppy seed can make tens of thousands like itself in one summer. Each and every plant is programmed to produce its own special seed. And so when it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. The implication is reproduction. And that's what my pastor used to say. That healthy sheep beget healthy 
sheep. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter one, verse 13, Paul writing to the Romans says, now, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, how often I plan to come to you. But I was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Do you think he's planning to go there and have a fruit bowl? That's not the kind of fruit that he's talking about. Clearly, what he's talking about is a metaphor for reproduction. He's looking for something that will last. He's looking for exactly what the Lord is looking for. And that's to create the character of Christ in the heart and the life and the circumstances of the believer. But I think it also means something else. I think it means to bear righteousness. It also means to produce the fruit of the character of Christ. You'll remember Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, when he talks about the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I also suspect that fruit can be good and profitable works, holy endeavors, And Christian activities, which come from the heart and the life and the soul of a saved person. Make no mistake about it. Can an unsaved person, can an unregenerate person, can the unbeliever or the make-believer do good deeds? The answer is yes. But is this fruit? Is this Holy Spirit fruit? Activity in and of itself can't be fruit. Clearly, fruit comes from a saved person. Fruit would include praise to God. Fruit would include sacrificial love manifested in meeting the needs of others. But in this passage, Jesus speaks of the optimum conditions to produce fruit, what we might call soil and climate and environment. And so for the Christian, the condition includes cleansing in verse three, abiding or remaining in Christ in verse five and obedience to Christ in verses uh, 10 and 12. And so what, what, what he's basically pointing out is that our actions, our behavior disclose what's going on deep inside of us, just like fruit. You know, my earliest one of my earliest jobs my brother and I, we would go to the Los Angeles market and we would purchase fruit. We would buy watermelons and honeydew. We would buy grapes and oranges or whatever was in season. And we would go through the fruit bins and then we would load them up into our truck and we would go to the corner of 285 and, and on, on Palmdale Boulevard as you're, as you're literally leaving the, 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 the Inland Empire of San Bernardino. There was a long stretch of desert. And my brother and I, we would set up our fruit stand. And in order to get people to buy our fruit, we would crack the fruit open. We would cut watermelon and honeydew. We would cut peaches and apples. And we would invite people to taste them. 
You see, you have to cut the fruit open in order to reveal what's inside of them. And guess what? It becomes a metaphor for you yourself because when you are cut open, what's inside of you? What's inside of your heart? What's inside of your mind? What's inside of your circumstances? You see, we abide in Christ. But abiding in Christ doesn't mean we keep ourselves saved. Abiding in Christ means to live in Him, to live in His Word. It means to pray in verse 7. It means to obey Him in verse 10. It means to keep ourselves cleansed in verses 2 and 3 by the Word of God. You see, the picture is like a mother. Imagine a mother who is pregnant with a child and the little child attaches itself, herself, himself, to the uterine wall. And there's an umbilical cord that attaches the, to, to, the, to the, the uterine wall so that mother and daughter, mother and son are connected. The mother provides nourishment and life and the baby will continue to grow so long as the baby is nourished and connected. To be a branch in His vine means that we are united and we're united to Christ and His life flows into us and through us and then produces His character in us. And we experience the witness of the indwelling Holy Spirit according to 1 John chapter 4. We dwell in love and unity and fellowship with each other according to John chapter 17 verse 21. The carnal Christian can participate in good deeds... But good deeds aren't necessarily good fruit. Because only the connected Christian, only the spiritual Christian can produce lasting fruit that has a reproductive quality. What we might call holiness, righteousness, God-honoring behavior. And so it begins with stage one. Look what Jesus says in verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I know that that's going to frighten some of you. Takes them where? And for what? Is it to be tossed in the bonfire at the end of the, of the passage? Let me help you think this through for just a moment. What does the phrase, he takes away, mean? There are those who believe that this verse provides proof that Christians can lose their salvation, that the true believer who is fruitless or a fraud winds up burned. But I'm going to suggest something to you. That God is far more interested in turning you than burning you. Let me help you with this. Some suggest that the fruitless branch is the make-believer or the false professor or this is the person who's taken away by sickness or death. But the word translated take away, I'm going to suggest a different translation. One that is used almost everywhere else in the New Testament. It's the Greek word iro. And it means to lift up or to prop up. As a matter of fact, over and over again, 
It's translated lifted in Luke 17, 3. They lifted their voices. Um, John eleven forty one. Jesus lifted up his eyes. Acts chapter four, verse 24. They raised or lifted up their voices. Revelation chapter 10, verse five. Speaking of the angel in heaven, it says he lifted up his hands to heaven. I'm going to suggest to you that that makes much more sense in the context in which we're reading it. Those of you who even have a minuscule understanding of grapevines, the grapevine falls to the ground. And when a grapevine falls to the ground, it can be covered with dirt. It can be covered with insects. It can be covered with mold. And so you know what the good vine dresser does? The, ver the good vine dresser takes the vine and lifts it out of the dirt and puts it on a trellis. You know when you're empty and you're hurt and you're all by yourself and you feel like the Bible is a boring book and your prayers are powerless and your Christian friends are meaningless. Your Father in Heaven wants to lift you up. You know, there's a lot of reasons why a vine doesn't produce fruit. Sickness. Disease. Bugs, toxins, contaminants. Do you realize that a young vine isn't allowed to fruit for the first three years of its life? For those of you who are familiar with the California um, vineyards or other places, if you've ever been exposed to grapes, the person who actually knows what they're doing, they'll cut drastically the vine in order to conserve its life and energy. The plant matures in December and January, and it typically bears two kinds of branches, one fruitful and one not fruitful. And the branches that produce no fruit are dramatically cut back. And the plants that produce some fruit are cut back so that it can have more abundant fruit. Can there be such a thing as a fruitless Christian? Maybe for a season. Maybe for a moment. Maybe for a while. But a real Christian will produce real fruit. In Texas, they have a saying that they say, that person is all hat and no ranch. But yeah, you kind of know what that means. Just because you have a great big hat and you got you got Western clothes and a great big buckle. Does that make you a cowboy? No. A real rancher has a ranch. And real Christians will produce fruit. And look at stage two. You go from no fruit to some fruit and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. What? You know, my grandpa Geraci kept a garden in his small New Orleans backyard. I split my time between my parents. My parents divorced when I was very, very young. My mother lived in Southern California. My father lived in New Orleans. 
From September to June, I was in California. And from June to August, I was with my grandma and grandpa, basically. And my first memory of seeing anyone prune anything was my grandpa Geraci. He came from Sicilia, from Sicily. He had gagouts, squash. He had tomatoes on trellises. He had peach trees. And he would cultivate those peach trees and they would produce these wonderful peaches that he would peel and he would put them in red Italian wine. And he had grapes. And he spoke really very limited English. And he would say, Gino, andiamo. He'd say, Gino, come over here. I want to show you something. And he would have his shears, his clippers. And my grandfather would say, if these plants could talk, you know what they would say to your nono right about the now? No, no! Get away from me! Don't, don't come near me! No, why are you hurting me like this? Why are you making me so sad? And then he would clip the plant. And he would clip it at exactly the right spot. And he did it always for one reason. And one reason only. To protect the plant and to produce better fruit. My grandpa would point out trees and plants with suspicious spots and useless buds and misdirected shoots and discolored leaves. And then he would carefully get rid of them. No body, no crime, remember? My dad is so funny. He would watch CSI. And my dad would go, hey. Let's see if you could, could find DNA in the intestines of an alligator. <laughs> it's funny how some people think. The father's at work. Cutting and pruning and eliminating thoughts and attitudes and commitments and behaviors and relationships and service and passions and motives. He is at work trying to get us to not be willing to participate in wickedness. And so sometimes the Lord, because he loves you, not because he hates you, is going to take stuff from you. Things that you thought you couldn't live without. Jesus spoke about the mysteries of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13. He spoke of the sower who went out to sow some seed. And you all know the story. Some fell by the wayside. Some birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they didn't have sufficient soil. And they sprang up because there was no depth of earth. The sun came and scorched them because they had no root. And they dried up and they withered away. And others fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up. And and choked them. But others fell on good ground. And they yielded a crop. Some 100%. Some 60-fold. Some 30. And Jesus said, He who has ears 
to hear, let him hear. Reproduction is the normal process of the life of the believer. God's at work inside of you. Reproducing His character within you. Molding and shaping you. Pruning and then purging and cleansing. As a matter of fact, the word translated prune or purge is the Greek word kataro. We get the word catharsis. It means to make clean. And in the context of a grapevine, it means to wash the vine. It could include cutting or pruning the vine. As a matter of fact, the NIV translates this trims clean. You know, one of the things that my grandpa did religiously, he would take a hose and he would attach a spray and he would wash the trees and he would wash the vines and he would wash the plants of insects and impurities. He would cultivate them and watch them very carefully. And so you go from no fruit to fruit to more fruit. Look at the end of verse 2. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Think about it. No fruit. Fruit. More fruit. Abundant fruit. And look what it says in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. What does that mean? What do you suppose Jesus is saying? The branches are cleansed by the word that Jesus has spoken, just like my grandpa would take the hose and he would carefully and specifically wash the plants. The Lord Jesus Christ had spoken to his disciples. He had already talked about him, about all of the stuff that we've experienced through the first 14 chapters. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread that's come down from heaven. I'm the true light of the tabernacle. Over and over and over again, Jesus has given them his word and God gave us his word in part to help us with all of the dirt and the contamination that's in our existence. There are toxins and dangerous contaminants, pollutions. You know what the word does? It exposes the dirt in your life. Have you ever said... I'm not going to the Bible study. I haven't read my Bible in a very long time. Why? It just keeps showing how rotten I am. But remember the other part. It doesn't just simply show you how rotten you are. It shows you how good Jesus is. How loving and gracious and kind and merciful that the Lord Jesus Christ is. How He's given you everything that pertains to life and to, and to godliness. You've been given everything in Christ. You've been given all that you need in Jesus. And so God's Word doesn't simply reveal our fault and our failure and our sins of commission and our sins of omission. It does that and it does that over and over again. But it does so for a reason. 
so that you'll accept the grace and the mercy of Jesus. The forgiveness and the hope of Jesus. The forgiveness and the joy that is in Jesus. The Bible doesn't simply reveal our imperfections. It declares Christ's perfections. And that, my friend, is why the Bible, even the most boring part of the Bible, is more exciting to me than the most exciting thing that the world has to offer. You should see people here when I'm teaching through the genealogies in Genesis. Just kill me now! I can't mispronounce one more Hebrew name! Thank you. Jesus will pray. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. No wonder James describes the word of God like a mirror. In James chapter 1, verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself. He goes away. And immediately he forgets what kind of a person he is. But the followers of Jesus are cleansed. They're washed, they're purged, and they're pruned by the Word of God, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, by the abiding presence of Jesus. And Jesus is using a very simple illustration. Look what it says in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The unattached, the disconnected branch can't bear fruit. When I was a young kid, I was a hellion, evil and wicked. I would raid the neighbor's yards. I would break off the branches of their trees. And I loved cucumbers. And uh, this one neighbor was growing zucchini. And I thought it was a cucumber. I thought it was the biggest cucumber I ever saw in my life. And so being the wicked person that I was, and still am, I hopped the fence, stole a zucchini almost as large as me, broke it over a rock, and thought, I am going to eat the biggest cucumber that ever existed. And I took one bite and I spit it out because it wasn't a cucumber. So I did the foolish thing. I hopped the fence and I tried to put it back and pretend like it never happened. How long do you think it took him to figure out someone has disconnected the zucchini? It dries up. It withers. It dies. That's the point that Jesus is making. There's two kinds of branches. Those that are connected and those that are disconnected. So what does it mean? It means that there's no life 
And there's no real meaning in life apart from Jesus. Those who seek meaning and fulfillment and happiness and hope apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, they're on a journey that's doomed to fail. They're on a ship that's destined to sink. They're on a plane that's destined to crash. They're on a path that will end up in destruction. The branch alone cannot bring forth real, lasting, acceptable, pleasing Fruit. And so look what it says in verse five. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. What question? Do you think that's true? It it either is or it isn't true. It, It really isn't difficult, is it? Without me, you can do nothing. By the way. Clearly, I think what it means is that without Jesus, you can't produce fruit that matters. Would you would you agree? You can't produce that which is eternal, that which is valuable, that which is not temporal, but but everlasting. Now, we know that you can, without Jesus, get married. Can't you? you can meet a person. They don't have to be a believer. You can marry them. You can raise a family without Jesus. You can pursue a, a career without Jesus. You can practice a kind of self-righteous generosity. You can even pastor a church without Jesus. Do you know that? You can do it all on your own strength and your own effort and your own giftedness and your own ability. I know. I've tried. But no matter how funny I am, or no matter how compelling I am, no matter how emotional I am, no matter how gifted I am, there's nothing that I can say. And there's nothing that I can give you. And there's no provision that I can make for you apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't give you anything that matters. I can't give you anything that's important. So Jesus makes it clear that whatever constitutes fruit, whatever is genuine fruit, whatever is lasting fruit, whatever is eternal fruit, it can't happen apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the truth is you can't really be patient. You can't really be loving. You can't really be holy. You can't really be faithful. You can pretend to be patient and you can pretend to be faithful and you can pretend to be holy and you can pretend to be happy. But in the end, because of the disconnection, They'll wind up empty. This is why Jesus refuses to exempt us. This is why Jesus refuses to prohibit us from experiencing the full onslaught of pain and suffering and wickedness that this world has to offer. Haven't you ever wondered 
Why did he leave me? Why did she leave me? Why did this sickness happen? Why do I have to experience this suffering? Why do I have to go through this? I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have to experience this. I I want to rely on my health and I want to rely on my wealth. I want to rely on my wife and I want to rely on my husband and I want to rely on my children and I want to rely on the economy. Well, forget that last one. We don't want to depend upon Jesus. But guess what? Jesus wants you to depend upon Him. To truly depend upon Him. And this is why the Lord doesn't shield us from the assaults of life, but rather exposes us to them. So that we'll learn to hold fast. You have to plant the plant with just the right amount of soil and just the right amount of sunlight and just the right amount of manure. And for whatever reason, some of you need more manure than others. But God knows exactly how much you need. Some people may be able to tie fake fruit onto living trees. But in the end, the fake fruit will wither and it will die. By the way, when Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire. Even as they're walking down the path to the Kidron, there are bonfires all around them. And you know what those bonfires consisted of? Vines. Grapes. Do you realize that in the Hebrew culture, in the Hebrew tradition, it was forbidden to bring grape vines to the temple to burn them? Do you want to know why? Because they burned too hot and they burned too fast. By the way, a vine is also too soft. You can take an olive tree and you can carve it. You can take an oak tree and carve it. You can take a cedar tree and carve it. But with a grapevine, it is too soft and you can't do anything with it. You can't even make chopsticks out of it. It only has one purpose and one purpose only. All you can do is burn it. Jesus speaks of that other option. There are two options, abiding and fruit bearing, not abiding, and look what it says. The consequences are more, more, more than simply no fruit. The consequences are a life that is lived that has no value. The unfruitful branch is more profession than possession, more pretending than being, more deception than truth, more counterfeit than real, more emotion than devotion. And by the way, if your life is more profession than possession, more pretending than being, more deception than truth, more counterfeit than real, more emotion than devotion then you might seriously have to ask and answer this question. Am I simply going through the motions? 
But look what Jesus says. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. What's the benefit of a fruit-filled follower of Jesus Christ? Read it again. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, you will ask what you desire. And it's an empowered prayer life. That's what's being promised. The empowered prayer life includes answers to prayer. The Bible is boring. Praying doesn't work. You're right. The Bible is boring. If you read it just for yourself. Or just because you think that the Bible is there to entertain you. Prayer doesn't work. You're exactly right. If you're not abiding in Jesus, if you're not praying according to His will and according to His character and according to the circumstances that God has outlined for you. Well, I prayed. I prayed, Oh, Lord, give me a job that pays a million dollars a year. I prayed. I said, Bless God, give me a, a job that pays a million dollars a year. He didn't answer my prayer. I said, bless God. I'm seeing the word P for Pantera. Yes, that's the kind of automobile that I think I want. Or Lamborghini Countach. I know what I'm going to do, Lord. Right now, by faith, I'm going to take a yellow because it's such a happy color. Porsche 911, I'm going to paste it on the refrigerator door. Bless God. And I'm going to pray that Porsche into existence. And you get a Volkswagen. Because guess what? When you're abiding in Jesus and Jesus is abiding abiding in you, it isn't just simply an answer to prayer. But it becomes an answer to a prayer Because you're fulfilling the plan of God and the will of God and the purpose of God. Because the plan of God and the will of God and the purpose of God is to create within you the character of Christ, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I wish I didn't have to say this. There are people who want the person of Jesus, but they don't want the doctrine of Jesus. They want... Hope and they want forgiveness and they want redemption and they want reconciliation and they want heaven, but they don't want the word of God and the commandments of Jesus. But the Bible doesn't separate the two. You can't, I repeat, you can't have the person of Jesus without the message of Jesus and without the commandments of Jesus. You know, there are people who love the idea of Jesus, but they shy away from his teachings. But some do more than shy away. Some absolutely panic and revolt. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But guess what? Jesus will refuse those who want him. But they don't want what he stands for. 
or they refuse to obey him. Charles Spurgeon wrote it. He said, we cannot separate Christ from his word, for in the first place, he is the word. And in the next place, how dare we call him master and Lord and do not the things which he says and reject the truth which he teaches. So what does it mean? It must mean that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We possess him and he possesses us. We confess him and he confesses us. We are conscious of his presence and we are conscious of his strength and we are conscious of his authority. And so God answers prayer according to his will in verse seven. And then he demonstrates Christ in in the witness of the presence of Christ in verse eight. And then there's a, a growing experience of Christ's love in your heart in verse nine. So what constitutes evidence of fruit, more fruit and much fruit? The abiding life, the abundant life, the sense of the Savior's love, the sense of the Father's glory, the presence of answered prayer, the presence of obedience in your life in verse 10 and joy in verse 11, which we're going to talk about more when we get together. But I want to just leave you with this quote from Charles Spurgeon, quote, I would put it to you, my dear hearer. Have you been fruitful? Have you been fruitful with your wealth? Have you been fruitful with your talent? Have you been fruitful with your time? What are you doing for Jesus now? Unquote. We have to take seriously. Everything that you do in Jesus matters. And nothing that you do apart from Jesus has any real permanent value. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know we've read the text. It said, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray, we pray, we pray that we would abandon the plans that we made apart from you. The plan to marry apart from you. The plan to raise our children apart from you. The plan to have a job apart from you. The plan to live a life with Christianity as a window dressing. And my Bible is one of the great classics along with all the other classics that I own. Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, you would reveal to us what it means to experience that organic and dynamic friendship and relationship. Jesus in us and us in Jesus. Living, loving, serving, ministering with Christ. Lord, I pray for each and every person who's listening. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. And Lord, I pray that you'd answer their prayers. Because they're in you. And you're in them. And they're praying according to your character. And according to your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.